Life Audio. Welcome back to Sparkle Speak. I'm your host, Catherine. Today we have on our very special guest, Ellie Lambaderios. If you remember, Ellie was our very first guest on Sparkle Speak 40-some episodes ago, which is wild to think about that we've come so far, but we're honored to have her back on. Um, Sadly to say, Ellie encountered something pretty intense since the last time we talked to her. And um, I'm just so grateful that she was willing to come on and share with you guys about it. Um, God did some incredible, incredible things in her life. She actually had a near-death experience when she gave birth to her daughter last year. She went from coding on a hospital bed to running a marathon literally less than a year later. Her recovery story and just her faith and everything that she has to share is truly remarkable. I just know you're going to take away something from her story for yourself. So without further ado, after a few words from our sponsors, we will get into Ellie's story. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right. So, um, yeah, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what happened to you and the amazing things that God did (laughs) through this story and season of your life? Yeah. So it's really crazy. So the last time I was on the podcast, I was pregnant and I didn't know it. I found out. I found out like four days later. I had a little suspicion, but I was ignoring that suspicion until after the 4th of July holiday. So I think it's very funny that we're we're sitting here talking now because I talked about my marriage and sort of like my coming of faith and how God was really there at the beginning of our marriage. And it's so it's just a, I love it when he sort of like puts these little puzzle pieces together. And it's just, I don't believe in coincidences. It's just like God being really cool. Yeah. um, Anyway, so I just thought I would start with that. So anyways, my pregnancy was amazing. Um, It was really fortunate. I felt great, like 99.9% of the time. I don't even think I like felt tired until like week 38 or 39. Like it was just, I was like, let's do this. Like I'm ready for my baby. And at 39 weeks and two days, I was working, I worked out like two hours that day. Literally, I'm not even joking. Went for a walk, was feeling great. Uh, The next day, my water broke and we headed to the hospital and my, everything was looking great. Um, No issues really at all. The only thing that was kind of alarming was all of a sudden I had really high blood pressure. Um, I, but I'm looking at the nurse, like, um, I'm about to have a baby for the first time. Like, does anybody come in here home? Like, you know, (laughs) I didn't really like, it didn't alarm me that my blood pressure was high. 
And at that point, I didn't really, since I had had such a healthy pregnancy, I wasn't really like that in tune with what a high blood pressure was versus a normal. So I just was kind of like, you know what? It's fine. I'm in the right place, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, around, let's call it 12 hours later, my daughter is born and everything went great. Like it was a super easy delivery. And then all of a sudden, about like 10 minutes after I deliver, I just like didn't feel normal um, to say the least, but it was my first child and I kind of just chalked it up to having a baby. And um, my husband was really concerned because to spare everybody the details, um, there was just like a lot of blood loss. But once again, we were assured that this was normal and um, not to worry about it. Our baby was healthy. We were doing like skin to skin, all of the normal stuff. And about the two hour mark, um, I was getting released to, so I was in labor and delivery and I was getting released into the recovery room. And when they came to check me, uh, the look on the doctor's face was not good. There was a piece of the placenta left inside of me. And I don't know much about medicine, but I know that that is not good. And that basically stops your blood from clotting. So at this point, I'm losing a lot of blood. I'm not going to go into the details, but and they can't stop it. They can't get the piece of the placenta out. And they rush me to the emergency, uh, the operating room for an emergency procedure to stop the blood and to get this remaining product. I'm in surgery probably for about, this is at 11 p.m. Um, I'm in surgery probably for about one to two hours. Um, they had told my husband it was going to be about 30 minutes and it ended up taking one to two hours. And I remember at this moment that I'm not going to say that I like experienced heaven or um, anything, but I will say that I did feel like my body like sort of lift off of the table when it actually wasn't on the table. And I felt myself in like a very deep moment of prayer where I just said, God, I don't care what it looks like. I just want you to save my life. Wow. And I like it's so crazy because it's like 10 months ago and feels so far away but yet when I talk about it it feels like just yesterday yeah anyways they do save my life um so I always call that like miracle number one however the fight isn't over yet um when they bring me out of surgery they tell my husband he can come he can come see me however about five minutes later they can't get me stable and my blood pressure is going from really high to really low and they just they can't get me stable and I code on the table right in front of my husband um luckily I was at this point surrounded by doctors so one way or another they were able to get me stable around 2 30 3 o'clock in the morning um keep in mind my husband we had woken up at five o'clock the night before. So he's in, approaching 24 hours with basically no sleep. Um, and he's trying to call our, my family. He's trying to, you know, my dad is a doctor. So he's trying to get my dad on the phone to try and figure out what best next steps are. Anyways, so they get me stable. I fall asleep. The next morning I wake up and I can't see anything. 
So I keep saying to all the doctors, I can't see, I can't see. So what I mean by that, it wasn't black, but I'm someone that I've always had perfect vision. I've never had glasses. I've never had um, con- like I've never even had an eye exam, which is really embarrassing if you know what my family business yeah. is. That's an ophthalmologist. Yeah. <laughs> but I've just always had good vision. So wow. everything is completely blurry around me. The only thing I can read is my hospital band. So I'm using my hospital band as sort of like a gauge of where things start to go blurry. And um, so that's one thing. Um, the day goes on and I'm just in a very weak state because at this point, I think the doctors had told me I lost and I may be wrong on this, but I think I lost about two thirds of my blood. And at this point I had had at least two or three blood infusions to sort of like get me back. Um, my blood work was coming back that my hemoglobin was dropping. Um, my platelets were completely like they were dropping, they were diminishing. And then it was also showing signs that my kidneys were failing. So they're trying to figure out why this is all happening. Because to be honest, like a DIC, which is when a placental product is left, is not common, but it's not uncommon. But my body's reaction to it is completely uncommon. They cannot figure out why I'm basically in renal renal failure. I can't see anything. Um, I'm anemic at this point to the point of, I can't lift my head off of the, um, pillow. I am a fairly petite person. Like I'm not going to put my weight out there, but let's just say I weighed more at this point than I did all through my pregnancy. And there was no baby inside of me because I was so swollen from the trauma. Um, my sister managed to get into my hospital room that day. And she just described it as like my, my eyelids were swollen. So it was like, that's like the water didn't have anywhere else to go. It was just like in my eyelids. Mm. So I, I can't tell you much about the next couple of days. So this all happened on a Monday evening. So Tuesday goes by, I'm not getting any better. Wednesday comes by, I'm not getting any better. Thursday, I actually start to get worse. So at this point, I'm basically in renal failure and um, the doctors are trying to decide what to do because at this point in time, the maternity ward in the hospital really doesn't have, they're not set up to treat whatever is going on with me. And I gave birth in New York City. So they have to transfer me via ambulance to the regular ICU. Even though it's right across the street, I have to be put in an ambulance, but I'm so weak that it's, it's really hard for me to even like get up, like lift my head or lift my legs. So the whole transfer was like the most painful thing I've ever experienced. Keep in mind that because I'm anemic and because my hemoglobin and platelets are so low that I still have my epidural in from labor and delivery. So I've had my epidural in now for four days And just like moving is just painful and just everything kind of hurts. So like Mm -hmm. getting transferred was like a very like hard process. They also decided to move me at like one o'clock in the morning. And um, at this point, we were just praying that whatever they were going to do was going to figure out what was going on with me. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, they decided to put a central line in to my neck 
so I, I have a, a scar right here, but I had a massive catheter going into my neck that they decided to do an infusion into called Plex. And this was to treat a genetic blood disorder, but they didn't have time to actually figure out if I had the genetic blood blood disorder they just needed to treat it and then after that they gave me another treatment for a different blood disorder um, of monoclonal antibodies called occlusamed and so they kind of in the middle of the night gave me both of these treatments hoping one of them would work because they did, didn't really like it was hard to say which one was going to work because they there was not enough time to actually do genetic testing so they the doctors decided the hematology team decided to do, just do both um, and also the catheter was really important because if they did end up having to give me dialysis, they could give me dialysis through this catheter, mm-hmm. but praise God, my family and my medical team, like did, fought to not put me on dialysis, even though so many of the doctors were questioning why they didn't put me on dialysis at this point. So we're at Friday morning now. And I am in the ICU by myself. I even forgot my phone. I had nothing. I I woke up and I was like, wait, I can see. Wow. I could see from across the room. So something that they had done in the middle of the night, this really scary thing of being transported in the middle of the night in New York City, one o'clock, getting this massive catheter in my neck and getting all of these treatments and people just picking and prodding at me all night. And then God answered my one prayer, my first prayer. And it was like, I just want to see again. Also keep in mind all of this, that I do have a newborn baby that I have barely been able to hold. I, I could not change a diaper. I couldn't see her if she was across the room. I could see her if she was in my arms. And, um, it's just a side note of all of this. It's like every time I held her, my blood pressure would actually come down. Whoa. I know it was like one of those crazy things where it was like, she just, she was such a calming presence. And my, and, um, when she went home, so she went home on Friday, when I went to the ICU, she actually went home to my family and, uh, my sister and my mom and my in-laws, they all sort of tag team taking care of her. And um, my sister and Amelia have like a special bond. Well, Amelia has a special bond with like everybody. That's just the kind (laughs) of little kid she is. But Emily claims to have like this really, really special bond, which I see it totally. Yeah. So Amelia at this point is home. And so that was really heartbreaking that I didn't get to go home with her, but better, better me than her in the hospital. So Mm -hmm. I am in the ICU. And at this point, it's Friday. And um, it's just a waiting game to see if the procedures that they did, they gave to me in the middle of the night on Thursday, were going to work. So Saturday rolls around and nope, no change. But I was determined to get out of bed. So instead of laying in my hospital bed, I sat in a chair in my hospital room. And it was so hard to get from my hospital bed to my chair and I remember like the physical therapist came that day and was like okay we're gonna walk and I did one one like pass through down the hallway and it took everything out of me I like can't even describe it it was painful and my legs were heavy and it it's just 
it's incredible. It like how hard it was. Sunday morning, I wake up and I call my parents and I say, I'm getting out of this ICU today. I cannot be here anymore. They're like, Ellie, you're still really sick. Da, 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 da. The nurse comes in and she goes, so the doctors are talking and they want to put another central line in your arm. And I said, no, you're not doing that. And I was like, I'd like another opinion. And I don't think that that's necessary. I kid you not, about an hour later, she comes in and says, actually, we've decided that we're going to discharge you from the ICU and we're going to take you to the step-down unit. So I always kind of consider that like miracle number three, because God, I swear, I don't know why I was, I like said, I don't want another central line or I don't want another um, like big catheter in my arm. Like, I don't know what gave me that like wherewithal. But I felt like God that morning. And I remember waking up and I watched church like from my hospital room. And I just felt this like, no, you need you are going to be OK. And like the fact that you're getting out of bed, like you need to start like act like acting like you're going to be OK. I can't. Describe. Wow. That's you know I'm- what? Not yeah. to interrupt, but it does yeah. kind of remind me of like that one Bible story. And I'm like, I don't remember where it is. But remember when Jesus is like get up and walk your heels. Yes. And he just yes. kind of like claims that over this man. It's almost like yes. he almost gave you that in your spirit of like, you're going to be okay today. <laughs> oh, exactly. He was just like, you're going to be okay. I need you. To, like, yeah, get up your mat. Like, yeah, your mat and walk. Like it's mm-hmm. absolutely like that. And so he just gave me this like sense of like, you're going to be okay. And I have to sort of just touch on that a little bit. I have to tell you, that I was never scared in the hospital. And I think a lot of people like don't understand how I was so okay mentally after all of it. And it's like, I will tell you, God gave me peace the entire time. I don't know if it's because I was so sick at the beginning. I didn't realize how sick I was. Like I was so physically ill. Like I didn't know what was going on, but I was never afraid. Mm -hmm. So anyways, so at this point, though, my labs are still telling me I'm in renal failure. My epidural is still in. My platelets are low. And at this, like, the doctors are like, I don't know. We're just, like, not really seeing anything get better. Wow. Um, so Saturday, Sunday, things kind of stay the same. Monday morning, however, everything changes. And um, at this point, they, like, really want to get the epidural out of me because it's been in my back for a week. And so they've decided to give me like a platelet infusion, which they had done before and it totally failed. Basically, they gave me a platelet platelet infusion and my body just ate all the platelets up. But what they needed, so at this point, like a normal platelet level is like 145 to like, let's say 300. That might be off, might be 100 to 300. Anyways, I was at 30. So it was like, not good. Yeah. They were like, we feel comfortable doing it if we can get you to like, I think it was 60 or 70. They did the platelet infusion, checked, ran my blood, 90. They're like, great, get the anesthesia team here, get this epidural out, let's go. They get my epidural out. And at this point, God just starts working. My platelets shoot from like 90 to 120 to 145 to 175 to 250, like 
they just, they keep running my blood every like four to six hours. And it's like, my platelets are just blowing their minds. Not only that, but they start to see that my kidney function is recovering. So they, so the way that the kidney function marker work is a creatinine is like what they test for. A normal creatinine is under one. You're like dead at an 11. I was at a seven. Hey, hey, everyone. I'm going to interrupt real fast for a few words from our sponsors, and we will be right back to hear more. So seven is like full renal failure, like people on dialysis are out of seven. But for some reason, God just gave these doctors the wisdom that like my kidneys were going to come back. So now God is just performing miracles on miracles. So my platelets are like shooting up when before nothing was getting my platelets back. But God just blows everybody's mind. And like by 24 hours after my platelet infusion, I am completely in the normal range for platelets. It's like they can't even believe it. So I lovingly used to call the catheter in my neck. And keep in mind, I'm like trying to sleep and recover with this like massive. I'm not kidding. I think it was like this big. You people on the podcast can't see, but it's like, let's call it like six inches like thick and wiry and like it was horrible my cousin lovingly named it Bertha and it was just like the most appropriate name for it (laughs) and anyways so Bertha came out and that was huge for me because that meant I could actually like sleep and be comfortable which you know sleep is a huge part of recovery so Mm -hmm. Bertha came out not only that, but I'm starting to notice that like my puffiness and my swollen body is starting to heal. And then they, um, so at this point, catheter is out. Um, sorry, the, this catheter, Bertha, all of my other tubes are coming out. Now they're telling me we don't really need to have, because I was on 24 hours, like heart monitor, oxygen, all of this stuff. Like, you know, we, we really feel like we can take you off of that. So I'm like, okay. I start setting a goal that I am going to be home by the end of the week. So I'm like praying to God. I'm like, I just want to be home by the weekend because if you've ever spent time in the hospital, the hospital on the weekend, I mean, the hospital is sad all the time. The hospital on the weekend is so sad Mm -hmm. because there's not as much staff and it's just, just a sad time to be in the hospital. So Mm -hmm. I say, I want to be home by Friday. However, my hemoglobin is still teetering really low. So I'm probably like a normal hemoglobin for a healthy female postpartum is probably like 12 to 14. I was still at a six. So I had a really long way to go. However, my amazing medical team, they come in, they see they're like, so at this point, Remember when I said I like could barely walk down the hallway on Saturday? Mm-hmm. By Tuesday, I'm like doing laps around my hospital ward. Amazing. Like, I am just like my my dad and my husband are like, okay, relax. Like you're fine. And I can find <laughs> out that there's like a snack room and I'm like going to the snack room. <laughs> and like it's just um it was one of those things where I am like, okay, like I there's no stopping me. I mm-hmm. found out that there was a stairwell. I start going to the stairwell and like practicing doing stairs. Oh my gosh. Because I'm like, I gotta I gotta make sure I can do stairs because the way our house is set up, um the nursery is one floor up from mm-hmm. my room. So I'm like, I gotta make sure I can do stairs when I get home. Oh the nursery's up there. 
And um, so, yeah, so God is just, it's like miracle after miracle after miracle. He's blowing away our team, our medical team. He's my, my family and my husband are still like, is she okay? Like, should we be letting her do all of this? Mm -hmm. Um, And they're like, yeah, she's, she's doing great. We're super proud. And then I find out that I am cleared to go home on Friday. Wow. Um, And it was March 18th, 2022. And uh, I was still pretty weak. Like I had to, you know, when I got home, I like had to take rests and everything. But um, in terms of like walking, like just walking from one place to the next, but I would say by like three weeks of getting out of the hospital, I was able to like take my daughter and dog for walks, like whether it be like around the block or a mile. And by two months, I was doing like four or five mile walks. And uh, in November of 2022, almost exactly eight months to the day, I ran the New York City Marathon. That's incredible. So, the um, full marathon? The full marathon. That is, I oh my gosh, like, yeah. For anyone, that's incredible. And then let alone someone who went through what you went through. (laughs) But I was like, I honestly had been like a life goal for me. And I just, it was, there were two things for it. Like long runs are like where God and I like hang out. Like I can't Mm -hmm. even describe it. He just, he speaks to me on these long runs. So as I was processing motherhood, processing sort of the trauma that not just me, but my husband went through. Cause watching your, watching your loved one go through that is not easy. In mm-hmm. some ways, I think it was almost harder for him because he, I was so out of it. I didn't know what was going on, but he was fully aware of everything. Right. So in some ways it was this weird thing that God, God gave me this like time to run. Also, when you have a baby, you can like go for a run with the stroller mm-hmm. and it's like an amazing time to just like connect with your kid mm-hmm. and also just gave me something for myself, like after all of it. And I'll never forget that feeling of crossing that finish line of just being like, it was you, God. Mm-hmm. Like, he just got me through it, mind, body, soul. And um, I don't know how anybody does it without him, whether you have a perfect delivery home with your baby and peaceful there's such a a, like a new birth of not just a baby but of yourself Mm -hmm. and to do that walk with God I I just I don't know if it's possible without him and I just I implore anybody that's listening to this that one if you're a new mom like welcome God into your heart, whether it be like at the moment you give birth and you just realize this like amazing little thing that God has given you. I once had somebody tell me that the reason why babies bring so much joy into this earth is because they were, they were just with God. So they're like bringing little bits of heaven and they like are exuding what is heaven every day. And as we get older, we get further and further away from that. So mm-hmm. I love that. Um, And I also would say, if you're someone that is waiting for a miracle, just know that it absolutely is still happening. It is not, miracles were not preserved for when Jesus was walking this earth. He is still, the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and it is performing miracles every single day. I love it. That's so, so, so beautiful. And, um, 
There was something you mentioned when you gave this talk at um, one of our events, but you said like sometimes people will like question the doctor's decisions and whether or not they're to blame for everything. But I loved like your like heart and your response to that. Can you touch on that at all? Yeah, I, I've had so many people ask me if I was suing these doctors and I, I can't remember exactly what I said. Um, and so apologies if I'm off base, but my feeling is, is um, that I actually think that God placed the doc- those specific doctors in the room with me to save me. And also like, I think God, I'm, we, this, I don't know how to articulate this, but I think the best way is, is like, sometimes when bad things happen to us, we ask God why he didn't stop them from happening and why he didn't just like, if you're so powerful, God, why didn't you stop that from happening? But rather I sort of had this epiphany during my whole recovery was no, God is actually like using my story and using the doctors in that room to show that he can still do miracles. Mm -hmm. And it like takes away my resentment and replaces my resentment with like joy and thankfulness and gratitude. And like, there's just, there was just like no place in my story for like anger because at the end of the day, I'm here. And so it was like, I had moments of anger being like, why? Like those doctors need to be held responsible. And I'm like, no, instead I'm actually just going to hold God responsible for the miracles that he did. Wow. So that's like kind of what got me through the anger. Cause I'm not going to lie. It was there. It was definitely there. Um, I'll never forget one day I called my mom and I said, Oh, like, I'm just, I'm so mad at the medical staff. And she was like, I was wondering when this was coming. Mm-hmm. And, and she goes, and she was the one that sort of like walked me through it and was like, you know what? God uses every story. And he could have stopped it, but there was a bigger message at play there. Mm. Like think about like Job and stuff. Like God could have stopped all of that stuff from happening to Job, but he knew that he was like a strong soldier and that he could use that story to inspire millions of people. So I'm Mm -hmm. not going to say my reach is millions, but I will say that like, maybe there's bigger purpose in like seeing the story through than God stopping bad things from happening to us. That is beautiful. Amen. I couldn't word it better. (laughs) Yeah. You, I I love how you worded that. Like it just brought like replacing your resentment with joy. And that doesn't mean you can't have the very real human feelings that of course, anyone in your position would feel, but you're just choosing to see it differently and to say, you know what, I'm going to focus on God's glory rather than the sins of humans in this situation. Yeah. And, and like I said, he, he, like I was at the right type of hospital and like, it wasn't even a convenient hospital for my house. Like, but I was at a place where there was multidisciplinaries and what happened to me probably would have happened to me anywhere. There's really not like a medical staff that could produce like really stop what happened to me. So he actually placed me in this hospital that was set up for trauma and for fixing me and my team, they were lifesavers. So Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, that's what I'm choosing to focus on. And I, I honestly, like, I, I'm not going to say I'm thankful for what happened because it was really crummy and not so fun. 
but like I'm here to tell about it so you know I'm not gonna Mm -hmm. hold on to that I'm not gonna hold on to the grudge I'm approaching I can't even believe it I'm about a month and a few days away from celebrating one year with my daughter and I'm I'm here I'm here to do that so yeah that's what I yeah exactly so Mm -hmm. life is good God is good and um I've actually had people who are experiencing not necessarily what happened to me, but they're experiencing some waiting and some waiting for a miracle. And um, my family, because of what we've been through, we are able to pray very specifically for these people. Mm. And their stories are way more, we need a miracle for these people. So I would say like, if you're out there and you need a miracle, reach out to somebody who you trust to pray to, because it, it heals. It does. Not that God can't hear you without a prayer warrior on your team because he can, but there's something about the peace of knowing that someone is actively praying for you that I think gets us through that, gets us through the waiting. So, yeah. And I remember your mom reaching out to some of the people on the sparkle team and, um, just asking for prayer when you guys didn't know what the outcome was going to be for you. And so I know that you had so many people praying for you and just like lifting you up to heaven. And I'm sure that had a huge part to play in how things came out for you. I mean, I can't even begin to understand the workings of that and how that all works, but yeah, just, I'm sure you felt the prayers. Like, oh, and it, like yeah. I, said, I touched on it earlier. Like I felt such peace in the hospital mm-hmm. and I think there's only one explanation for that because what I went through was not peaceful. And that's that like the Holy spirit sent the angels to me. Mm. I actually had a friend who I consider I when I was like very out of it. I reached to Teddy and I said, "You need to text. I'm not going to use her name just because I don't yeah. know if you would want me to, but you need to text this person. I need her praying for me." Wow. And um uh, I've like obviously we're close and I talk to her all the time and she was like, "Yeah, Ellie, I had this very clear piece that the angels were in the hospital with you. And, wow. you know, I totally felt it. So um, bring amazing. on the, like, the, and I did, I had thousands of people praying for me, sending me prayers over texts. Um, and I'm just so thankful for this, like, community of believers that, like, my family has formed. And um, I hope that we can just continue to inspire other people to tap into that community because, I do know that it's intimidating for some reason. There's this weird, um, I know because when I wasn't really active in my faith, I was intimidated by it, but I just, I I feel this sense that somebody listening to this is like afraid to ask for prayer. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say like, don't be afraid. Yeah. We want to pray for you. I love that. Yeah. I just, I don't know why, but I feel like God just wants to say like, he hears your prayers, but maybe having somebody like on earth to talk about it with, maybe that will bring them peace because that's amazing. I just got chills when you said that, Mm because I don't know. I just believe God, like he cares about each person, even listening to this, whenever you're listening to this, whoever you are, like he cares (laughs) about you. And it's just so obvious, you know? So thanks for saying that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you also, you don't need like a big crazy story to feel like you need God. Mm-hmm. Like when I, when I reignited my faith there, I didn't have like a really 
need crazy need to be saved, but I had a crazy need for Jesus. And so he has been there for me through the last specifically I gave my life to God as an adult at 25. So it's been almost seven years now. And uh, the last seven years, I've really needed him. So I'm very happy that I uh, walked into that church that day. So <laughs> I'll leave it at that. So because yeah, like you said, can you even imagine having gone through what you just went through without him? I mean, I can't no. fathom what that would be like. And so it is, it's just, we're always going to go through hard things. And so to go through it with Jesus on your side is always going to be a better yeah. option. <laughs> and I just want to also touch on that. There's no right or wrong way to sort of like feel close to him. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that this experience really taught me was, so my in-laws are Greek Orthodox and, um, uh, so they're, you know, a lot of their faith is very ritual based, which I never quite understood growing up as a Methodist. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we don't have rituals or communion or any of that, but it's, it just wasn't like number one priority. It was like always like relationship, really like ritual was just kind of like a part of the flow for right. me. I don't know, but rituals are a huge part of how they practice their faith. And my father-in-law went to the monastery when I was in the hospital and got oil to anoint me. And honestly, like probably before this, I would have been like kind of rolling my eyes and been like, oh my gosh, like Mm -hmm. so sweet of you, but okay. And I will tell you that I will never forget the moment my husband anointed me with oil in the hospital room. So I only say that because it's just like whatever mate brings you peace and brings you closer to God like go for that mm-hmm. you know so, don't get caught up in the details of yeah exactly right and wrong exactly there's mm-hmm. not a right or wrong way so um but yeah I love that walking with him is amazing and uh doesn't exempt you from hard but it makes the hard tolerable uh wasn't Ellie's story just incredible. I have no words. I'm so grateful. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did just chatting with her and hearing from her. Don't forget to check us out at sparklefaith.com. You can also head to our sponsors page at lifeaudio.com to find more podcasts just like this one. As always, don't forget to rate, subscribe, leave comments. It really helps us and just boost our listeners. Um, Also, don't forget that you can fill out a form. We have it in our show notes. And if you have a story that you would like to share and possibly be featured on our podcast, please fill it out. Thank you so much. And we will see you back here next week. I'm Billy Yancey, entrepreneur, fitness cowboy, father, retired Navy cornerback, and now podcast host. Listen to my new show, Billy and the Goat, on Life Audio. Happy listening.